Well, it's been quite a journey for Moses over the last few months. He's led his people, the Israelites, out of slavery in Egypt. And he's seen God at work in some amazing ways. He will never forget how the Red Sea was miraculously parted to let the Israelites pass through. And then how the waters flowed back again to drown the Egyptians following hot on their heels. But he's also experienced the downside of leadership, having to deal with the grumblings of a people whose hunger and thirst in the desert quickly blotted out their memory of God's mighty acts. A people who doubted and questioned God's care and provision, leaving Moses angry and frustrated at their short memories and lack of trust in the God who had saved them. We meet Moses sitting outside his tent. He's eating his daily portion of manna, the food which itself was a constant reminder of God's miraculous provision. The people are quiet now. The grumbling has stopped for the time being. And Moses has a rare moment to pause and reflect on the journey so far. As he looks around him, the very location of his campsite at the foot of the mountain of God takes him back to the last time he was here. A time when he saw a bush burning with fire, yet not consumed. A time when he heard the voice of God and took off his shoes, knowing he stood on holy ground. A time when he heard the call of God, the commission to lead God's people out of slavery in Egypt. That call which would not be pushed aside by Moses' doubts or inadequacies, but the call that stood the test of time and has brought him to where he is today. Moses is once again at the mountain of God, and he's filled with expectancy. He has met God here before in a way that changed his life forever. What's going to happen this time? And as Moses sits and reflects on the journey so far, so his thoughts turn to his family. His wife, Zipporah, who he hasn't seen for a while because she's been staying with her father Jethro back in the land of Midian. But Jethro has recently sent a message that they are on the way to meet Moses. And excitement and anticipation builds up as Moses looks forward to seeing Zipporah and Jethro once more. And also, of course, his sons, themselves a reminder of Moses' journey with God. The firstborn, Gershom, recalls Moses' early days, when he was indeed an alien in a foreign land, in Midian. And the younger boy, Eliezer, is named for the latter part of the journey, a reminder that it is indeed God who has saved Moses and the community of God's people from the sword of Pharaoh in Egypt. So, As Moses sits outside his tent in the bright morning sunshine, so his eyes catch a glimpse of something moving in the distance. Could it be a mirage? Goodness knows, water is scarce enough around here. 
That's what caused the latest round of grumbling just recently. Could it be someone coming to attack the people? Do they need to prepare for battle again, even though they've only just finished fighting the Amalekites? Moses is alert and watchful. But as the shapes in the distance draw closer, so he realises this is a train of camels, it's not an approaching army. They draw closer still, and Moses begins to make out the faces of Jethro, Zipporah, Gershom and Eliezer amongst the party. He goes out to meet them. He bows low in a gesture of respect to his father-in-law Jethro, and he kisses him. As the head of the family, Jethro is an honoured guest, and Moses welcomes him into his tent and sits down with him. Now, in the usual way, when family members haven't seen each other for a while, there's a lot of catching up to do. Moses is overjoyed to be able to share with Jethro the story of how God has brought his people out of Egypt and the miracles they have seen and experienced along the way. He's honest about the tough times too, though. This is no sugar-coated version of the salvation story. Real life does have its bad times as well as its good times. And Moses paints a truthful picture for Jethro of what it has been like for him and for the people of God to be on this journey together. Jethro is delighted to hear how God has rescued the Israelites from Egypt and brought them to this point. He'd not heard much about Israel's God before, although he's a priest back home in his own country of Midian. But he gets a deeper knowledge of the God of Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, through hearing Moses' testimony. He even declares that now he knows that this God is greater than any other God because of the way he saved his people. Jethro is drawn in to the community of worship. He joins in offering sacrifices to God and even shares a meal with the elders in a true sign of hospitality and welcome. What power a story can have. Sharing our own experience of God at work in our lives can itself result in eyes being opened when someone like Jethro, who perhaps only knows God a little, comes to know him a little more deeply. Someone who may perhaps like Jethro be drawn into the community of God's people for themselves. Who are the Jethros in our lives? Do we, like Moses, delight to have the chance to share our story with them? If we have the courage to do so, how might they respond? Well, let's rejoin Moses now. And in Act 2 of our story, it's now the next morning and business as usual for the community of God's people. No time to sit around and share in fellowship over a meal today. It's a working day. Welcome to Monday morning. So what does community life look like during the week? Let's take a look around us. 
It's difficult to actually catch a glimpse of Moses amongst the crowds pressing around him. He is sitting in the midst of the people as they come to him with disputes to be resolved, questions about God's law and a whole host of pressing issues that need his input. Some of the people have been waiting since daybreak and judging by the length of the queue, they're going to be waiting a while longer yet. Now, I've heard talk of an 80-20 rule in some churches nowadays, where 80% of the work is done by just 20% of the people. This doesn't even come close to describing where it's at for Moses. It's more like a 101 rule for him. He is doing it all. He is juggling the roles of judge, teacher, lawgiver, mediator, and so on and so on. He is clearly overstretched, wearing so many hats that they can't all fit on his head at the same time. Yet he presses on. His heart's in the right place. He wants to serve and lead the people, but he just doesn't have the capacity to do it all. And it's frustrating for the community as well. Because as they wait in the queue to see Moses, they're all too aware of the other things they could be doing with their time. And some of them also have a niggling sense that perhaps they could be of some use here. They've felt for a while that maybe they have gifts that aren't being used. A sense that perhaps God is nudging them to get more involved in the life of the community of God's people. With a bit of support and training, perhaps they too could share in doing some teaching or mediating some disputes. But Moses is in charge. He's the leader. And it's always been done this way. It doesn't feel right to push themselves forward. So they just wait in line. But now, here comes Jethro. He starts to push his way through the crowds of people to the front of the queue. There's a bit of muttering and grumbling that starts up. Who is this queue jumper? Doesn't he realise we've been waiting in line all day? How come he gets a fast pass to the front of the queue? Jethro keeps on elbowing his way through and soon stands in front of Moses. Those nearest fall silent to hear what it is he has to say that is so important that he just couldn't wait in line like everybody else. Jethro's first question sounds pretty obvious to the ears of the crowd. Moses, what are you doing for the people? Why is everyone standing around you? I mean, honestly, Jethro, can't you see what's going on here? Why state the blatantly obvious? Moses comes straight back with the expected reply. I'm discerning God's will for the people, teaching them and mediating between disputes. So far, so good. But then Jethro delivers the knockout punch. Moses, what you are doing is not good. The ears of the crowds prick up at this point and a buzz of interest starts to circulate amongst them. Hmm, this could be interesting. Where's he going to go with this? 
Jethro, this newcomer to the community of God's people, then sets out a different vision for community life. It is not good for one person to do it all. It is not good that everyone has to hang around for hours waiting to speak to Moses. It is not good that others don't have an opportunity to use their gifts to serve God and the community. In Jethro's vision, the load is shared. All are involved in community life. Jethro's advice is full of practical common sense. I mean, it could almost be lifted from a 21st century business manual on how to delegate, right? But he acknowledges God's part too, recognising that this vision will only flourish if it is God's will for the community and knowing that Moses will need God's help to put it into practice. There's no secular religious divide here. This is a vision for the everyday working life of the community, not specifically for its worshipping life. But Jethro recognises that God is central to all aspects of community life. And actually, perhaps this does have a bit more to do with worship than might have appeared at a first glance. The call is to an integrated life of distinctive daily discipleship, not to a compartmentalised life where God is left behind at the entrance to the workplace, at the front door of the home, or on the way out of church on Sunday. So what difference does it make if all are involved? Well, let's put ourselves into the position of Moses after a few weeks have passed and the new system is up and running. It could have been hard for him to take Jethro's advice on board. I mean, delegating can be a real challenge for some people. I know that from my own experience. I do tend to be a bit of a control freak. Any any of you who know me even a little bit have probably spotted that. And it can be hard for me to trust somebody else to do a job that I'd really rather do myself, however gifted and experienced and talented they are. But Moses handles the situation with a great deal more wisdom and graciousness than than I think perhaps I might have done. Moses listens to Jethro's advice, recognising the value of the godly wisdom and common sense in his approach. He continues to do the things that only he can do, the things that he is uniquely gifted and called to. He represents the people before God and he deals with the most difficult cases requiring judgment. And he sets up a structure of leadership over groups of people, as Jethro recommends. As a result, his load is lightened and he is no longer stretched to breaking point. He is actually more effective in his role as the overall leader of the community because others are sharing the load with him. But what about the rest of the community? What difference has Jethro's intervention made for them? Well, let's just drop in on a couple of individuals and find out. Firstly, I'd like you to meet Eliab. Eliab is one of those who had a niggling sense earlier 
that perhaps God was nudging him to use his gifts in a new way. He was delighted to be approached by Moses and asked to take on the role of leader to a group of 50 Israelites. He has thrived on the opportunity to serve, feeling a sense of fulfillment in using his gifts, and he's growing in confidence day by day. Eliab sees it as a privilege to play his part, to share the load, to be involved in the community of God's people, according to his gifts and abilities. Now I'd like you to meet Rebecca and Rachel. They are neighbours. They're both widows and have many children and grandchildren between them. They've been locked in a series of disputes with one another over the ownership of various items for months now. In the past, they've had to queue up for hours, if not days, every time they wanted to see Moses to have an issue resolved. But now they can just go to Eliab, who always has time to see them and is more than capable of sorting the problem out. Rebecca and Rachel have so much more time to spend with their extended families and to pray for others around them in the community as they seek to keep God at the centre of their daily lives. They feel valued and cared for by the community. And even though they aren't physically able to commit to taking on doing anymore, they do feel that they are involved and they are an important part of the community of God's people. It took someone like Jethro to look at the community and have the courage to say, what you are doing is not good. It took someone like Moses to recognise God's voice in Jethro's advice and have the courage to share the load. It took someone like Eliab to recognise God calling him to get involved and have the courage to use his gifts to serve God and the community. It took people like Rebecca and Rachel to recognise that they too were called to be involved in different ways and have the courage to play their unique parts in the community. It takes someone like you or like me. What part is God calling us to play in the community of his people here in Claygate? All are involved. The load is shared. And this load is not a heavy burden. It is a privilege, a joy, an honour to carry this yoke. And in doing so, we find our own place in the community of God's people, the community who follow the crucified and risen Saviour, who offers rest to the weary, hope to the burdened, and peace to all who share his load. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Amen.